0: Parents, let me ask you a question. Do you ever hear the question, why? Huh? Why? Why? How about when it's a four-syllable word? Why? Anybody familiar with that? Yeah. Oh, that question. Why? Why? In different stages of life, the question of why... Comes up in different ways and at different times. I probably need to turn it down just a little bit. Somebody could do that. Number lapel mic. Number lapel mic. <laughs> why? Why is it so loud, right? Usually the question why has negative emotions tied to it. Am I right? You feel what I'm saying? Why? Why? As a kid, one of our favorite questions is, why? Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to go to school? Why doesn't Daddy have any hair on top of his head? Why does he have so much on his back? Why? 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 It's not that gross, by the way. One day, you'll know. And a lot of the time, we get back the answer over and over, which is what? I don't know or because. Two possible answers to the why question. to which we would say, why, don't you know? As we get older, the question still lingers. Why do I have to have all these zits on my face? Why should I listen to you, you old out-of-touch adult? Why is life so unfair? A lot of the time, we never even ask these questions out loud, so we surely don't get an answer for them. The why mystery extends into adulthood and late life as well. I had a boss... Whose favorite question was, "Why?" And that's how he would say it. "Why?" And let me tell you what—nothing got on my nerves like him saying, "Why?" He'd come in, Jason. Why are your numbers down? Okay. Um, okay, Jason. Your numbers are down. Why? Well, we had we had a dip in number of customers coming in. Why? Uh, The weather kept them away. Why? Well, because it snowed and it was 20 below zero and people weren't getting out. Why? And sometimes he would literally go seven or eight levels deep with the why question. And no matter what I answered him, his question was why? Till finally I said, I don't know. And then he'd say, well, then figure that out and get back to me. (laughs) That really helped, right? So, why? Why? Why haunts us all of our days? And the why question rarely gets resolved. But something in us always wants to know why. And it's usually when negative things happen or when something happens that we don't agree with. Why has this happened to me? Why? Our passage today wraps up our three week foray in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And we will answer some why questions pertaining to what we've seen now in this passage. And to be honest, some of the whys may or may not be answered. Why? We'll see. Partly, at least. So, let's read the paragraph again. Now for the third week, and take in the wonders of it one last time together. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men." For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray quickly. God, again, we come to this passage that is so big. We have the mind of Christ if we are followers of Jesus. May we just engage that mind, embrace that mind, and by the power of Your Spirit, may we understand it. And God, if there are those this morning who sit in this building who do not know You, I pray that by the power of Your Spirit You would convict them of their sin, show them that they are a sinner, and that there is a great Savior who waits to save them today. His name is Jesus, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Would you have a seat? We are smack dab in the middle of our third point of our outline in our foray, our jaunt through Romans. First point was sin, the need for being right with God. And who does that apply to? Everybody. Everybody who's ever been conceived. Second was justification by faith, which is the means for being right with God. The only way to be made right with God, the only way to have your sins taken care of is by faith, In the finished work of Jesus Christ, there's no other way. From Abraham and before up until now, until Jesus comes back, the only way for being made right with God is justification by faith. Which brings us to blessings, the results of being right with God. We'll finish chapter 5 today, and let me say something very important. As we move into chapter 6 next week, if you don't get chapter 5, chapter 6 and forward will mean nothing to you. That's how important this is. That's why we spent so much time, especially on this paragraph. Chapter 6 is a response to chapter 5. It's a natural outflow of the next logical question that would come up out of chapter 5. So please engage this passage, and we'll try to sum it all up today so that as we move into chapter 6, which 6, 7, and 8, in my opinion, may be the highest point of Scripture. And I say that very reverently. I don't say that very flippantly at all. Very reverently. Chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. I just don't know if it gets any better for Christians in the Bible. So, very important that you grasp what we're talking about today and what we've talked about over the last two weeks. Which included, what is this? Asian stations. That's right. I'm glad that that's becoming a part of our warp and woof. You're like, what's a warp and what's a woof? Read the Old Testament. You'll figure it out. Uh, expiation. We said that everybody was a sinner. Expiation is God taking the guilt of our sin away from us so that we don't have it anymore. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. Expiation. God taking the guilt and the shame of our sin away from us. Propitiation is God pouring His wrath out up on Jesus in our place for our sins. Propitiation. Imputation, which we'll really, really hone in on today is God giving us the righteousness of Christ as a gift. He took our guilt and our shame away. He punished it in Christ. Then He gave us the very righteousness of Christ, which put us in a state of being justified, justification. I have the right to be in God's presence, which will ultimately bring me home to ultimate salvation. I have been saved. I am saved. And I will be saved. So let's start in chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore... As one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Two weeks ago, we said that uh, verse 12 ended with a little hyphen. And if you will, if anybody's got a Bible in front of them, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then 13 through 17 was Paul explaining that. And then we pick up verse 18 where he picks that thought back up. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So the last two weeks have been an explanation setting us up for this. Therefore. Now the question why, why is this here? Therefore will help us address the why question. Why was all of what was just said, said? Why was everybody condemned in Adam? Why was everybody justified in Christ? That's what we're going to address today. We've spent the last two weeks looking at how we all sinned in Adam and how death spread to all men because of Adam's sin. Because when he sinned, Scripture says, we all sinned. And we said, well, that's not really fair. I wasn't there. But that's the way it works. And that's what we're going to address today too. We saw that the system that God set up was based on imputation, both positively and negatively. Now we'll see some more about how Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us today, but we had to see that it was true in Adam as well. We saw that proof. We saw that righteousness is imputed, and we saw that sin was also imputed. And if we want the good, We've got to take the bad. We don't need righteousness if we're not sinners, right? Because we're righteous if we're not sinners. But we are sinners, and why are we sinners? Based on something that we did? No, based on what we're born into because of what Adam did. And Scripture says that his sin was imputed to us. It was given to us. We were born into it. So that when Adam sinned, all sinned. We saw that proof of that in the fact that death was in the world and reigned in the world because of the entrance of sin. Then last week we saw that as bad as sin was, what God gave through the free gift of righteousness in Jesus was much more effective, much more better, much more better -er, much more than the effects of sin and death through Adam. We saw that we went from being reigned over by death to reigning over all in the life of Jesus. Now, that's where we've been. But here, Paul picks his thought back up and sums it back up to launch into the rest of, which is the end of his thought. And he says, therefore. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now, we won't talk too much about this verse as we've covered the thoughts in it over the last two weeks. But there are a couple of things that are important. First, we see the truth of imputation from Adam... And the imputation from Jesus referenced here in this verse. One trespass led to condemnation for who? All men. But wait. Because then it says, and one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for who? All men. Is that problematic? Will all men be justified? The universalist would say, yeah, sure. Love wins, right? Everybody makes it somehow. We're all climbing the mountain one way or the other and we'll all reach the top together. And at the top, God is love and couldn't stand the thought of ever punishing somebody, so He's going to love everybody and just welcome them in because they've tried the best that they could. Is that what's going to happen? It's not, but this says, one act of righteousness, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, which we're like, okay, everybody died in Adam, I'll sin in Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification, in life for all men. Hmm. One act of righteousness leads to justification, in life for all men, but but. All men won't be justified. We've established before that the Bible does not teach that. Not everybody will be saved. Hell is real. And though it was created for the devil and his angels, the ungodly will go there as well. Ungodly humans. And the smoke of their suffering goes up day and night forever. That's Scripture, right? It is. So what does this passage mean? Is it wrong? If we believe that God's way is perfect, which we talked about two weeks ago. Remember, as for this God, His way is perfect. We've got to also believe that His Word is perfect. And if His Word is perfect, it can't be wrong. Right? You them with me? So what's going on here? Will all men be justified? Will all men receive eternal life? Now we said last week that verse 15 had said that many died through one man's trespass. Remember this? We said that Paul was starting to play with some words and those words were many and all. He said that many died because of one man's trespass but we know that who died because of one man's trespass? All. So was it many or was it all? Yes. All would be many. Am I right? I mean, all of us is many people, correct? So that's not too hard to reconcile. All would be many, but back to our thought about all being justified, what does that mean? Let me tell you what I think. And you can pun it if you want to. Shove me out in the snow on my bald head if you want to. I think it's simply saying that all who would be justified will be justified in one way. And that's through the One man's act of righteousness. There will be those who will be justified, and all of them will be justified one way. All men that will be justified will be justified one way. I really think it's, again, Paul being Paul, the Holy Spirit knowing that Paul is Paul, uses his words. What is that? It looks like we have water. Huh? Yeah, so (laughs) let's see... All want to go to the bathroom, right? So the many will go to the bathroom. Alright? Good. Thank God for the water. I'm thankful for that. Thank God for Ken. Ken, it's the body of Christ at work. That's how it works, you see. We all have a different gift. Some people have heat guns, some people don't. Ken had a heat gun. And he knew where to find the pipe. So, back to this. So, we'll all be justified. No, but all that will be justified will be justified one way. I think it's that simple and we'll get there's he's not done with this many all many thing. We'll get back to that in a second. So you're literally talking about two different humanities here and this is the key part of this I think all of the first humanity in Adam died as a result of Adam's sin but all of the second humanity in Christ, Born again in new life are justified by Jesus' act of righteousness. So all that are reborn are reborn one way. All men. All men in the second humanity are reborn one way. And again, I'm 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 more than more than glad to continue to talk about that later, but we don't have a lot of time to spend on it today. But that's I think the second humanity, all of the second humanity is reborn one way. So what is the one act of righteousness? I think that's as simple as Jesus' life, His coming, living a perfect life, His death on the cross, His rising again, His ascension into heaven, His being seated at God's right hand, and His intervention for us to this day. Christ's life is that one act of righteousness that leads to justification and life for all men. There is one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes unto the Father except through me. All men are justified by the one act of righteousness, which was the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us and keeps us righteous. So again, we won't spend any more time on verse 18. Now, verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, here we go with the many again, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And to me, this is the most concise statement in the Bible about our identity in Adam and our, and our identity in Christ. And it shows us that God set the system up this way. That is key. That is pivotal to understanding everything that we've talked about the last two weeks and this week. God set this system up this way. For as, so by. For as Adam's sin led us into being sinners, so by Jesus' obedience we are made righteous. Righteous. And again, here's the last run in the many and all wordplay. The many that were made sinners is everybody. The many who are made righteous were those who placed their faith in Jesus for their righteousness. Also note that we were made sinners by the act of one. We are also made righteous by the act of one. That's, again, that is a fantastic verse to memorize just because it gives you the doctrine of imputation in those few words. That's it. You want to know what imputation's about? We were imputed Adam's sin. We're imputed Christ's righteousness. And that's the way God set the game up. Period. That's the rules that He's playing by and therefore that we're playing by. Need that to sink in. And again, we're not going to spend any more time on that verse. I think it says what it means. It means what it says. That's imputation right there. Now verse 20. Now, what was the question we started with at the beginning in the introduction? Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Why do I keep leaving that D up? Let me try that again. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what this is addressing is, why the law? Because we've seen in previous verses in this passage that sin reigned from Adam to Moses. So there was sin in the world. Sinners were in the world and everybody was sinners from the time of Adam until Moses because everybody from Adam to Moses died. So why would God send a law into the world when sinners were already sinners? This verse could seem out of place if it's taken out of context, but it's not. The Holy Spirit didn't make a mistake and say, Oh, rabbit trail. This is important. Okay, If taken out of context, this verse wouldn't make much sense. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here. He says, The purpose of the law given to Moses in the Old Testament was to increase the trespass. God, why the law? To increase the trespass. Okay. Do you know what that means? It means that God gave the law to make sin more sinful. To increase both the number and the awareness of the seriousness of sin. The law was never meant to save anyone. It wasn't God saying, here's the law that if you keep it, you'll make it into heaven. You're like, but that is what he said. That is what he said. But he wasn't giving the law as a map to say, this is how I want you to get to heaven. He gave the law to say, this is the map that gets you to heaven. And you know what he was saying through the law? You can't make it. There are people today in America, in southern West Virginia, who are still trying to keep the law to earn their salvation. There are people sitting in this room this morning who are still trying to keep the law to earn their salvation. But the law came to increase the trespass. Does that say anywhere that the law came to give you life? Or that the law came to set you free? No. Stay with me. The law was never meant to save anyone, but to show people how lost, how bad off, how incapable they really were. Back in verse 13 in chapter 5, Paul said, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now that's one of those verses you go to. Wait a second. So were the people before Moses guilty? Yes, they were guilty. How do we know that they were guilty? They died. Right? Are you with me? Now listen, if you're not, tell me. Say, wait a second. What I'm asking you is, if the law came in to increase the trespass, to point out sin, to show us how bad we are, and we know that sin was in the world from the time of Adam because death reigned from Adam to Moses, what's going on here? Okay, listen to me. This is important. You're like, just like half of what you say is important. Paul said, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law, which is to say there was sin in the world before the law was given. Now, here's where it gets interesting. But the actual accounting of sins wasn't being reckoned. What does reckoned mean? We talked about this back in chapters 2 and 3. Counted to their account. Okay? So sin was in the world, but the accounting of sins to one's account wasn't happening. But were people still guilty? Yes. And we know that because people died. Stay with me. We're not done yet. The actual accounting of sins, which is different than sin... The accounting of sins wasn't being reckoned because there was no law prohibiting said sins. But people were still suffering the consequences, the wages of sin, which was death. So sin was present, but sins weren't being pointed out and held against people. They were still sinners, but God wasn't saying, Okay, arfaxed which is my favorite Old Testament name, Arphaxid, you stole your neighbor's donkey and you shouldn't steal God wasn't saying that. Instead, death was reigning as a sign that men were sinners. And they sinned, but God wasn't piling up a list of sins to hold against them. He didn't need to. The fact that they died showed that sin was in the world. He didn't even need to hold their sins against them. And let me tell you this up front too. As we get into chapter 6, the difference between sin and sins is imperative took that away. That is, until he gave the law, until God gave the law, he did exactly that. When God gave the law, he started saying, and if you read Exodus through Deuteronomy, you'll see that God clearly spells out law after law, regulation after regulation, prohibition after prohibition, which made it clear that God would now be reckoning particular sins to individuals' accounts. But why? Why would God want to make laws to make people's sins more evident, more weighty, more pronounced? Why would He want to as Romans 5 says, increase the trespass. Huh. Because looking back at what we saw last week, He was going to do something much more impressive, much more powerful, much more effective than the nasty effects of sin. Because where sin increased, what then? Wow, y'all got excited about grace. Huh? Ooh, e. Where sin increased, what then? The law came in making sins much more numerous, increasing the guilt and the awareness of said sins so that when grace would come, it would come in a much more powerful and plain way. Where sin took us to negative 10 on the scale of holiness, sins came in and took us to negative 1,000. But grace abounded all the more so that when Jesus came and gave us the one gift through His one act of obedience, it didn't just bring us back to zero so that we're morally neutral. Well, we're okay now. No, no, no. Much more than that, He took us from negative 1,000 to positive infinity to a number that we just... There's not a number! Because what Jesus did overwhelmed the negative 1,000 and took us to a place that nobody had ever seen or heard of before. So sin, uh, the law came in to increase the trespass, to make us see, oh my goodness, we really are hopeless. We really are helpless. We really cannot save ourselves. If you don't think that's true, I dare you. Try to keep the law. Give it a shot. You cannot do it. Here's the good news. Jesus did it. And now, because of grace, He says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. Imputation. You were given Adam's sinfulness, and then I brought in a law to show you how many sins you committed in that sinfulness. And we're cowering in the corner, dead in our trespasses and sins, without hope in the world. Jesus comes in. He doesn't just say, okay, get up out of the corner. You can come sit at the table now. No, 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 no. He comes in and He says, I'm giving you me so that in me you will be possessor of all things. Why? We're getting there. We're getting there. God increased sins by making us aware of them so that when grace came in, it would be all that much more impressive. Sins were shown to show us our need for the amazing grace that would follow them. More sins led to more grace. And God wanted us to know the fullness of the grace He was going to pour out. Sin increased, but grace abounded. And if you remember the word abounded from last week, it meant poured out in excess in an overwhelming way. Remember the bucket at the water park, the big bucket that fills up and knocks you down? That's grace. It's not like God giving you a little bit of water on your tongue to flush the toilet. I thought He'd give you on your tongue to flush the toilet. But... It's not just a little bit, just enough to give you a little bit of hope to make it to the next day. It's overwhelming grace abounded because we saw how helpless and hopeless we were. You may not like just regular old lukewarm water when you're not thirsty. But man, when you're thirsty, and you come in, you get that little bit of lukewarm water, you're like, man, that's the best water I've ever had in my life. That's kind of what this is saying here. Sin came in. The law came in to show us, oh my goodness, I am thirsty. And God poured a big old bucket of grace out upon us. More than we could handle. Much more than we needed. And He is still poured. Way more than we needed. Way more than we can fathom. All that grace poured out on us in response to our sins. And Why? Why? So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is pregnant with quadruplets in meaning. Why? Why would God pour all that grace out upon us? So that... So that as sin reigned, which it did, in death, then grace also might reign through righteousness. Now we've already seen that death reigned because sin had entered the human race. But God had a plan for something else to reign. Actually someone else to reign other than death. What what did we say last week? Who was it that we said last week that God wanted to reign? Us so that those who receive the free gift of righteousness and eternal life would reign through Christ Jesus. That's us. So where sin and death had reigned, God set us up to rule. So again, we were cowering in the corner, and He didn't just say, okay, your sins are forgiven. He says, your sins are forgiven, and you've got the standing of the Son of God now. So we are reigning and ruling with Him chapter 5 verse 17 said, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. And here in this verse Paul says it was so that grace might reign. So who's reigning? We are by grace. By God's divine doing we are set up to reign and rule with Christ. So grace reigns through righteousness, which means as we are given the righteousness of Jesus through imputation, by gift of God's grace, and as we reign, so ultimately it is God's grace that is proven to reign. We get grace. He gets glory. And He exhibits His reign through us, which leads to eternal life for us. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth and reign over it. What we saw last week is was the entire universe. Now we reign over because is Jesus Christ king of the universe? You betcha He is. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we are in Him. In Him that's much more better than the bad that our sin was. So that ultimately it is God's grace that is proven to reign. We get grace, He gets glory, and He exhibits His reign through us which leads to eternal life for us. And it is all through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are supposed to be humbled, amazed, and overwhelmed by this truth, especially in the light of the depths of our depravity, the seriousness of our sins, and the hopelessness of our original condition. As bad as we were, as bad off as we were, God did more than we could ever have hoped for in us, through us, for us for His glory. That's what grace is all about. <clears throat> now, this week, last week, week before, we covered a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff. Anybody's family just do too much for Thanksgiving? Like, everybody in the family has taken home too many leftovers that they'll never eat. And you're going, oh my goodness, why did we make all of this food? We do it every year, twice. Her family, my family, we do it both places. You're like, why did we make all this? Why did God give us all of this in these ten verses? It's way more than we understand right now. It's way more than you'll ever understand if you think about it for the rest of your life. Why? Why would He do such a thing? Today, just today, we've said a lot, and it might lead to a lot of misunderstanding. I said two weeks ago that you wouldn't leave that sermon, that message with resolution. I said, give me two weeks from today, maybe we'll have resolution. Maybe we don't. Maybe you're still going, I don't know. Maybe you walk out of here today as we finish this paragraph, and you're going, nope, I still don't get it. And I get that you don't get it because I don't get it completely. That's a lot to consider. It's a lot to think about. And there's a lot you may not agree with or understand. I know I don't get it all. I can't take it all in. So what do we do with it all? Let me try to summarize as best as I can and then see how we can apply it into our flow of thought from Romans and then into our lives. I'm going to go back through 12 through 21. I'm going to break it up in chunks and summarize it. And then we're going to go into application. We're almost done. Let me read. I don't know if I put that up here or not. Yeah, okay. I'm going to read 12 through 15 and then summarize it. 12 through 14, sorry. 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So, sin entered the human race through Adam's sin. All who came after Adam would be sinners due to the presence of original sin or sin that we're all born into. Death came as a result of sin and it came to who? All men because in Adam all sinned. So death reigned because of sin, not because of sins." 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So 12-14 through gave us the comparison of Adam and Jesus. One man, one man. But then... Uh, 15 through 17 gives us the contrast between Adam and Jesus. God gave a gift to overcome sin and its effects, the gift of grace that resulted in justification. And the gift was much more, much more than the sin, the sins and the effects of them. God's gift was powerful enough to overcome sin's negative consequences and much more. One sin had brought condemnation, but God's gift overcame many trespasses and He changed our status from being ruled over by death to being rulers in life than what we looked at today. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And to summarize that, all of this was done to show that God's plan revolved around representation. Adam represented us in that his sin was imputed to us. And this was so that Jesus could represent us and that His righteousness would be imputed to us. We were made unrighteous in Adam so that we could be made righteous in Christ. Sin came to show us our great need and Jesus came to fill and overfill that need so that it all might rest on grace and God would be glorified through it. So you got all that? Make sense? Clear as mud? Have you figured it all out? Has your why question or questions been answered? Maybe partially a little bit here and there. Sprinkle smatterings of it. So where does this leave us as we launch into chapter 6 next week? What conclusions do we come to and what can we apply to our lives? Hopefully, first and foremost... This passage leaves us humbled and overwhelmed. Why? Because we've seen, not in this passage, but a different verse, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we, all of us, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Who is that? Us the adopted, the elect, the chosen. We were at one time children of wrath. Romans 3.9 said, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not, all, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Who's that? All of us. Everybody. And I don't just do sin, I am a sinner. That's important to note too. Do I sin because I'm a sinner or am I a sinner because I sin? You sin because you're a sinner. Because you are under sin, you don't have any choice in that matter at all. Our problem is not that we do bad things. Our problem is that we are bad. You're like, no, no, man people are basically good. No! No, they're not. Everybody is under sin. Please hear me say that because the culture is telling you right now we're basically good. And if you will just try to seek out who you are and what you want to be, you'll find yourself and that's good. And this says exactly the opposite. We were by nature children of wrath. We're all under sin. And what I want you to do this morning is know that, feel that, and despair over it. You say, you want me to despair? Yes, I want you to despair over your sin. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin, which kind of gives me the indication that before I was born again, I was enslaved to sin. You're like, well, I don't really feel like I was a slave. Well, you were. Before you were born again, you were a slave to sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, there's that thought pattern again have become obedient from the heart. And we'll get into this in chapter 6. That's why I'm setting the table for you in chapter 6. What we're establishing here in chapter 5 is that we were all slaves of sin. We were all under sin. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't have to do anything about righteousness. We'll get into that in chapter 6. But what I want you to do this morning is, regardless of who you are, where you are in your life, know that if you are not born again, you are a slave of sin. If you have been born again, you once were a slave to sin. So, you know what sin does? Sin makes you sin. You're like, well, I don't feel like I'm that bad. What I want you to see this morning is, you are really, really bad in and of yourself. Left to your own, you are born in sin. Listen to what Paul David Tripp says. Human effort will never fix human immorality. Since I am my biggest problem, and since the greatest danger to me is me, and since I am never able to escape from myself, I have no capacity whatsoever to fix what is broken. I need help. I need a Redeemer. That's what Adam taught us. That's what Paul taught us about Adam. That we're born in that condition. I want you to understand that this morning. John Piper says, the gospel is so good because it's tailor-made to our needs. And our need is the fact that we are sinners and we need a Savior. That's what makes the gospel such good news. That's where this should leave us this morning. It should leave us going, in and of myself I am helpless, but God did what I could not do. And it should humble us in that we don't try to save ourselves anymore. And it should overwhelm us that grace has abounded to me, the chief of sinners. And maybe you're looking and saying, well, maybe you're the chief of sinners, but I'm not that bad. You are that bad. In and of yourself. So hopefully it leaves us humbled and overwhelmed, which leads to, listen to this, hopefully all of this leads to compassion for lost people. If you know that you too were a slave of sin, if you too were left to your own, that you would run with your hair on fire toward hell because that's who you are and that's how you were born, it's easy to look at somebody who's not redeemed and say, Oh, I get it. You're not my enemy. You're lost. And you've got compassion for them, and what do you do? You preach the gospel to them. And you say, You know what? I know the cure for your problem. I know what overwhelms sin. I know what overcomes the guilt of your sins. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ who gave His life so that I might not be a sinner anymore. I still commit sins. And there is a big part of me, which is what Romans 6, 7, and 8 will address, there's a big part of me that still has a sin nature. But I know the cure for that even as a redeemed person. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read this. This is amazing. Listen to me when I'm talking about compassion for the lost. God has compassion for the lost. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, talking about compassion, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. This gets much better. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what? All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation." Compassion for the lost. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's us. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, get this church, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. And what is that appeal? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be Reconciled to God for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. If you can read that and not have compassion for lost people, something is wrong. If you can look at a lost person and say, you're my enemy because you're a sinner... You don't know the love of Christ that compels us. We should be humbled and overwhelmed and say, God, I didn't deserve this. And since I didn't deserve it, you know what else? That sinner over there that I've been pointing my finger at for three years now, he doesn't deserve it either, but you are making your request through me. I am your ambassador and what you want me to do is preach the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, to that person whom I have said I hated, whom I've said I opposed. You know what, God? You hated me. I hated you before I was born again. I was your enemy and I was spitting in your face and you brought me into righteousness by the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. So therefore, I am compelled to go to the sinner and preach the gospel. And if I'm not, I don't know the gospel. I still think that I've earned my way into heaven and that that guy over there should do the same. Compassion for the lost. We should be humbled and overwhelmed. We should have compassion for the lost. And now back to the why question. After whole, all this information, after this whole big chunk of this is how God set the system up, this is how God rigged the game, why? Why did He do it that way? Lastly, let me say that God does. Things his way. And we've seen on many occasions his ways are not our ways. Our ultimate why is met with the answer you cannot know. God, why did you set this system up? You can't know. I'm God. And in my infinite wisdom, this is how I've set things up. And your puny little human mind would explode if I tried to explain it to you. He's God, people. We're not. You can ask why all you want to. He's not going to get mad at you. But I'm telling you what, you can't understand the ways of God. You can't. It is impossible. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, which we talked about in our first two application points, being humbled and overwhelmed, having compassion for sinners, those belong to us and to our children forever that we may, may do all the words of this law. But that first phrase, that first clause there, listen, there are some things that are pent up in the secret will and the secret wisdom of God that we can never understand. Why did God choose representation? Why did God choose imputation? I don't know. But He did. I know that. He's revealed that to us. He hasn't told us why. Outside of the fact that so that He will get glory. That's our answer to why. God, why did you set it up as far as imputation, as far as representation? For my glory. Can you give me a little bit more? No. Nope. That belongs to me, God says. That's my deal and you can't you can't know why. And if we're going to stand and wag our finger at God and say that's not fair, we don't get the gospel. We don't get the truth that we have been given the righteousness of Christ as a free gift of grace through God. This points out the truth that God does some things that we will never understand. There are secret things that are hidden in the counsel of God that we will never understand or grasp. If we understood it all, if we could wrap our minds around it, then we would be God. But we're not. And that's the way it should be. That's the way we want it, really. We want God to be above us. We want God to be superior to us. As redeemed people, sinful people don't like that. Otherwise, He's just like us, and that will never do. God is sovereign. And He has to be sovereign or else He is no God at all. He has to be sovereign or He is no good to us at all. And in His sovereignty, listen, God does what is best for us and what is best for His glory. That is why. I'll just read this and finish. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. My last question to you would be why would God choose to do that for me? Learn them. Let's pray. God, you have been gracious. And you have done what I could not do, what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh as it was. And you've done it through Jesus Christ, who is greater, who is better than anything that we could think or imagine. In your secret counsel, One God and three persons. This is your plan. Your plan revolves around representation. I was represented by Adam, but I am now represented by Christ. And I'm thankful for that. Very thankful for that, God. Thank you for choosing the perfect way of salvation for me for the whole world. Now make me, God, understand that you have called me to be your ambassador, to preach this truth, to preach this love, to preach the glory of God revealed through the person of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child that I could possibly get around. Knowing that your gospel, God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. God, lighten us a passion for the gospel. Humble us, overwhelm us, give us compassion for the lost and help us to understand that you are God and this is the way that you've worked it out. And you're not afraid of our whys. May we not be afraid of either your silence or your answer when we ask why. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. We trust in you now and in the finished work of Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand to receive a benediction? Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all all of God's people said, Amen. Please stay and eat with us if you can.